the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together in this Thanksgiving week. So much going on. And I, I want to open and I want to spend this time talking about things to be thankful for and things that we all should be uh, aware of and be thankful for, even in the midst of of so much chaos. But let me first tell you a quick story on this. And uh, be, by the way, encourage you, uh, proamericareport.com. Go there and sign up uh, for uh, the emails there. Also, of course, phyllisschlafly.com. We uh, we have so much archive there, including great. Um, the, the late Phyllis Schlafly was great on these holidays. Um, what we're going to talk about for a few moments today, she would write uh, about and write commentaries, and they'd be extraordinarily effective. So first, let me tell you a quick story. Um, I went to a meeting a few days ago, I guess it was three days ago. I can't really remember which day of the week it was. And I forgot my phone and I, <laughs> and I forgot my phone at the office and I walked to this meeting. It took me about 25 minutes to get there. I got about five minutes away from the meeting and the meeting was starting in about 10 minutes. I was five minutes early and, uh, and I, I realized I didn't have my phone and I thought to myself, what do I do now? I mean, I, I couldn't go back. I couldn't be late to the meeting. And so. I just lived with it. First of all, I, I joked later when I was telling the story that I walked 20 to 25 minutes without uh, having uh, my phone, which is, you know, surprising enough. I didn't even notice. Uh, but I went to the meeting and then after the meeting, I had a second meeting and, and I didn't have enough time to go back uh, to the office. So effectively, I had about four hours where I was without my phone completely. And and there was nothing I could do. There was no place where I could go in these meetings to sort of jump on somebody else's computer and, you know, uh, uh, text uh, my colleagues at the Phyllis Life Eagles or uh, email somebody. I just had to live with it. And in between, as I mentioned, these two meetings, uh, the second one was pretty short. I had about 90 minutes of just sitting there doing nothing, thinking. Ended up taking out my a pen in my pocket from the meeting I was in, making a list of things that I hadn't been thinking about, that I hadn't paid attention to. And I know this is going to sound so basic. And, and I, I mean, I realize that. And I know lots of people say this all the time. But the first thing that you have to do, we have to do, or I'll start with me, that I have to do to understand what to be thankful for is to turn off the machines. Turn off the laptops and the, and the, and the, uh, the, uh, uh, smartphones or the tablets or whatever you are into and, and, and find a way to, to get real time away. And it's almost like, um, uh, almost like learning to breathe again. You, anyway, you, everyone knows this. I know it's been talked about, but I'm just encouraging you as a, as a, as a perspective on being thankful. Because when I sat there, again, this must have been Monday of the, of this week, of the Thanksgiving week, uh, I sat there 
And I started to make a list of things to be thankful for. And I, and I started to make a list and I said, first people. And so I made a list of people that I'm thankful for. And the obvious ones are my wife and my children and my in-laws and my own parents. And, and I made that list, you know, and I, and my closest friends, but I, I started to grow the list to include people at various points in my life that I hadn't even thought of in a long time in my grammar school. Uh, where I went to grammar school, there was a, uh, a, a, um, a, we called it gym at the time. I think they called phys ed. I don't know what they call it. You know, the, the, the gym teacher. And he was, he was, uh, a, a wonderfully kind guy. And I, and I worked my way forward in my own life and thinking of people to be thankful for and to be thankful towards. Now, if you're a religious type, I'll get to that in a minute. You should be, I, I was, I, I shifted halfway through this experience and I, I made it about a prayer for the, each of these people. So when I got to my high school and I, and I, who was the freshman basketball coach who was very kind to me, I, I, I prayed for him. I prayed in, in a prayer of Thanksgiving. And so I started with people. Okay. And I, and I worked through my life and I probably spent only 30 minutes. 45 minutes, maybe of that time thinking about people. Then I, I thought, you know what I should be grateful for is my faith and the experience I had early in my life of people who uh, pointed me towards the Lord and drew me towards taught me there. And I went backwards and again in time and thought of the moments. There was a moment in my life that I've talked about uh, somewhat frequently in my early twenties when I was living in Indonesia and I had nothing except a, a Bible, a study Bible, which I had everything, of course, but I had a study Bible that had been given to me when I went abroad to Indonesia, a Muslim country, and it it was um, uh, Good Friday. It was right before Easter, and it would have been 1993. And I was alone, homesick. Uh, I was doing this research project. It wasn't really working. I, I was. I felt like everything was a mess, and I had nowhere to go. There was no church community where I was living that I could go to. There probably was a church. For whatever reason, I felt like I couldn't go to the church. And so I had no place to go. Little tiny village in Indonesia. I think it was on Sulawesi, which is where I was traveling at the time. And I had this extraordinary experience of having only that study Bible and realizing that's all I needed, that I had the Lord and I had his word and I had this incredible connection. And, and although I miss my faith community and my church and, uh, and all that this was that at, the, at its core, I was a son of God and that it was extraordinary what happened. And so it was, I could, and what I thought about being thankful for is who gave me that Bible? Who gave me that Bible that that was with me? And I carried it all in my backpack all over Indonesia. And it was my parents. My parents gave me that Bible, I think, when I graduated from uh, high school, uh, college. But I'm not sure if they could have given it to me earlier. But I had it in a in a special carrying case so that it was in the backpack. It was always packed in the very bottom. It was a big Bible. It packed in the very bottom of the backpack in this padded case. And uh, so my point is, and I went through faith community. So people first, then faith community next. And then I went through events in my life and that key events that happened birth of my children uh death of my grandfather was a big thing sort of m big events that i could could think of that were changing in my life one of them w which was you know when you're a young person young boy you don't know the difference between what's monumental in your own life and what's monumental in in life but one of them was when i was cut from the baseball team you know, and I was, I think, a sophomore, junior, junior in high school, just mind, my, my, I can picture it now, my mind and heart broken, right? Couldn't believe it. But so I went back and I thought through 
all these experiences, different moments, moments of, of success, moments of failure. One time when I really failed in a uh, professional setting as a, as I was working as a lawyer, really didn't just didn't succeed. Brut- brutally so. I, I technically wasn't fired, but I should have been. I was more uh, <laughs> moved along in uh, in my work. But anyway, so people, uh, f- my faith journey, and then events. Okay, and those three categories gave me this incredible uh, uh, ability to feel gratitude, not just in my head, not even just in my heart, but in all of who I was, and. One of the things that I finished that experience with, this is like I told you about two hours, two, two and a half hours of, uh, uh, four hours block. But in the middle of two meetings, I had about two hours of so maybe 90 minutes at one point and then a brief, uh, call and then a brief meeting. And then we had step out again. So, but, and the, the dynamic, when I finished this and I, I had this overwhelming sense of gratitude, of privilege. Of, you know, and I haven't, not everything's gone as well as I'd like in my life or in my, in my, you know, family and, and certainly in my extended family. And I wish, I, I always wish things could be different, but I had this ex- extraordinary gratitude. And then I was drawn to this. America makes it so possible, so extraordinary uh, for us to have this freedom, the freedom of the events for, that I, I described, the freedom of the people that I described, that the, 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 the sense of what life can be about. You can have that anywhere. If you read, um, uh, Solzhenitsyn and people that were behind the Soviet, uh, in the Soviet gu- uh, gulags and all, you can have true freedom. If you read the, some of the extraordinary writing out of the Holocaust era, uh, of people who were either, um, uh, uh, in, I- imprisoned and then es- escaped or survived or some who were imprisoned and wrote about it or spoke about it and, and were, and were, uh, killed and, and their message carried out. You can, you can have freedom with the Lord anywhere you are. That's the beauty of um, uh, of that. I'll give one quick experience there. I was doing an interview in 2010, I think, and I was saying how Obamacare is so bad for people because not only is it uh, not going to be good care, but it's it's taking away from people in lots of ways. I was saying it was limiting the approach, Obama especially broadly, but Obamacare, of people to having uh, faith uh, and the Lord becoming religious liberty, religious freedom. And I said, you know, and that's blocking people from salvation. And I got a call after I was done the thing and uh, done the interview. And the person on the other uh, end of the line on my cell phone was uh, uh, someone I knew very well. And uh, and she said to me, you're wrong. And I said, what do you mean I'm wrong? She said, the Lord can cut through a, a 20 feet of concrete if you're in a cell, can cut through Obamacare, anything else, can do what he wants. Uh, and that's true. But uh, But practically... When you look at what America has allowed us to do, when you look at the words of of uh, George Washington of Thanksgiving, when you look at the history, uh, if you haven't read Rush Limbaugh's um, famous, famous description of of the, the truth of Thanksgiving, the real first Thanksgiving, extraordinary, right? It's available online. David Limbaugh, I think, or or maybe uh, Rush, uh, Rush Limbaugh's widow posted it. Uh, uh, he had gone back and researched it. It's amazing. So when you read about what makes us special as a nation, it's so powerful. It's so powerful, but take a break, take the time, maybe use the framework I did, people, faith, journey, and then events in your life. Maybe that works for you, maybe something else, uh, but uh, but make Thanksgiving uh, a part of what you're doing in a specific way, not just a big uh, turkey dinner. All right, we got a break. I'm, I'm running out of time. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Well, as somebody who worked so closely with the late Phyllis Schlafly, I can tell you one of the things that Phyllis used to love to laugh about was how a smart uh, woman like her, who never got bothered, who kept laughing and smiling, how it made him crazy. She said, you know, they used to go crazy that she wouldn't be bothered and hassled and annoyed by them and just kept smiling. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene sort of fits in that mold. She has uh, she has lots of positions on key policy issues, and she's willing to mix it up. She represents the 14th congressional district down in Georgia and has uh, been an extraordinary force and voice on a lot of issues. One of them for me that she's been so incredible about is January 6th. She, I saw an excerpt, or, uh, excerpt of her book, which we're going to talk about. It's simply titled MTG, and it's from the winning team publishing. But one of the excerpts that they sent me was the chapter on January 6th, and nobody else other than Marjorie Taylor Greene, would keep talking about the people, the men in the prison in D.C. They call it D.C. Gulag. She kept pressing. She ended up being able to visit there. It was an extraordinary uh, uh, moment. And now she's got this book, which is a lot of the inside stuff, which she's gone through. Enough. Marjorie Taylor Greene, welcome uh, to the program. Congratulations on the book. And uh, how hard was it for you to do a book? you got to slow down to do a book. That's not easy for you. you got a lot going on. <laughs> you know what? Our schedule is maddening at times. Um, and so it took me longer probably than most people to write a book. Uh, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. One of the things that happened to me when I became a member of Congress in January of 2025 is the media created a character of me that doesn't exist. And that is the character that they portrayed in the news 24-7 across our country and across the world. And so this book, um, I, I open up all the stories and the headlines and tell the truth behind the stories and even give more information. Uh, things like Jewish space lasers, which was a phrase I never even said or heard of until right. I was being attacked with it in the news. Yeah. And um, so I tell those stories. I also talk about going in the DC jail yeah. in early in November of 2021. Um, but I, it's a great book. Um, it's an, it's an easy read. So I really hope they get a copy at mtgbook.com. Well, I was just going to say, you beat me to at mtgbook.com is where you can go and get the copy of the book and there's you can get an autographed copy of the book you know the you have the ability and i mean this as a compliment and, and phyllis was like this you will make a lot of people happy some days and a lot of people unhappy some days and then the next day it'll be a different set of people in other words when you you know you, you haven't been afraid to be a total grassroots fighter and then and, and you haven't been afraid to be someone who says hey i'm going to figure out how to make what's happening in congress move more in my direction and then and, and so you you sort of take slings and arrows on all sides again you're you're a small business owner two years ago three years ago you weren't famous now you're famous i can't walk down the street it's got to almost be disorienting oh it's it's incredible i never expected this when i ran for congress uh, my vision was well president trump would be in the white house <laughs> i would be another republican member of congress working to pass his make america great again uh, agenda and uh, one of my main goals was to hold the Republican Party accountable and, and push them to do what they actually say that they're going to do, promise they're going to do, but never deliver on. And I had no idea that President Trump, uh, that what would happen with the election, I had no idea that I would be attacked the ways that I've been attacked because 
out in the real world in real America, I am not radical or different from anyone else. Actually, I'm very normal and think like most Americans. And so it was pretty shocking to me. But in Washington, once you really get to know that place, guess what? Most regular Americans would be considered radical because Washington, D.C. pretty much hates us and they work for the rest of the world and they mostly work to keep their machine running uh, just the way they like it. And they don't like it to change at all. We're talking with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Congresswoman from the 14th Congressional District in Georgia. Her new book is just out, MTG, from Winning Team Publishing. Go to mtgbook.com and you can get your copy there. The, you, in the book, you talk about uh, January 6th. And you talk about your extraordinary, you know, you and Louis Gohmert and Matt Gaetz, you had to keep asking. They they denied access to the D.C. Gulag, the prison. You finally got in there. I saw you quoted in the last couple days. You know, now there's more video that's been released. You said, you know what? It's good. The videos, is, you know, it's good. It's not a enough is the phrase you said you said the lies deceit and the lives ruined there has to be a push to get to the bottom of this so how do we get there and will this speaker do it and is there the will to do it because you're i i mean it is a compliment you're tough enough to do anything but most of them aren't well thank you i really appreciate that uh to be to be completely honest i don't have a lot of confidence in the gop conference that we have right now. You know, we barely have the majority by just a few seats, unfortunately, and that makes our vote margins extremely tight. And there's not enough appetite in our conference for true accountability, which is something that I find completely outrageous and infuriating. You know, I I supported Mike Johnson, um, uh, as we all have, and, and he's still very early in a speakership uh, but I was disappointed he passed the CR continuing Joe Biden's budget and, um, you know, releasing 90 hours of the 44,000 uh, hours of videotapes is not enough. I mean, to me, that's like throwing bread to the mob, you know, while the government is beating them every single day. And so I've called for this January 6th special committee because I want to investigate the former committee. We right. should be subpoena- we should send out subpoenas for the FBI for the Department of Justice, for any federal agencies, uh, local D.C. police, anybody we think was involved um, to get to the bottom of it. And the the person at the top we need to go after is Nancy Pelosi herself, because she, as the Speaker of the House, was in charge of the security of the Capitol. And she didn't she didn't just fail. I believe she's responsible for it. And we need to understand more of what happened, because just as you said, and I fully agree with you, you said it very well. Um, the original January 6th committee was nothing but a psychological operation to brainwash America about January 6th and taint the jury pool in D.C. And, you know, that jury pool is pretty bad as it is. Yeah, exactly. You're but right. they are horrible. <clears throat> yeah. No one can get a fair trial in Washington if you if you support President Trump, especially President Trump himself. Uh, mtgbook.com mtgbook.com is where you can go and get a copy of marjorie taylor green's book it's from winning team publishing available uh now and you can get an autographed copy there what's the most in this book it's 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 describing and i've read excerpts of it i've read three or four chapters but what's the most surprising thing about getting up there is it one part of it that when i read the book is you're like the people the leaders the people are supposed to lead the country and lead the greatest country on earth (laughs) are not not as impressive as you'd expect is that the most surprising thing that you get up and you say well i ran a small business and I thought when I get there, I'm going to meet really impressive people. Turns out some of them couldn't run a, a you know, a, a one man couldn't do a one man parade. Uh, what is the thing that's really kind of the one thing that you say, man, this is the thing people need to understand. 
I think what people need to understand is what they instinctively know. We're over $33 trillion in debt because the people running our country are some of the worst, most unqualified people writing the policy, writing the bills, spending trillions of dollars every single year, throwing money like it's on, like it's on fire. I mean, like the Pentagon can't find trillions of dollars, literally cannot account for it. And that's the situation that we're in. Um, it was shocking to me to see the inner workings of, of Congress and see how bad it is. Another thing is, is I always looked at the Capitol building thinking it was this, one of the safest places in the country. But, you know, a bunch of unarmed people easily entered, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, are we really that safe? And obviously we're not. Look at the Biden administration. They've ripped open our borders and we have 1.8 million gotaways in this country and thousands of them are likely terrorist or, or linked to terrorist or come from terrorist harboring, uh, countries. Uh, so no, n- not only are we not safe in our own government buildings, we're not safe anywhere in the United States. And it's because of the absolute failure of the government. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene, thank you for your fight. And the book, again, is MTG, available from from Winning Team Publishing. Uh, if you go to mtgbook.com, you know, I'm, I'm also among my many hats I wear with the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. I have also with the uh, Patriot Freedom Project, which helps uh, defend and and get the uh, January 6th families. And you you have been not only an inspiration, but uh, you, you and your staff have been so helpful in whether it's the prison, prison visit, but also other events that have happened. So uh, thank you for all of that. MTG is the book. Uh, congratulations on it. It's no no small achievement to uh, write a book and get it under your belt. So uh, we wish you well on all that. And be careful in a strange world where the left seems to be getting more and more uh, violent in their rhetoric. We need to be very careful and we encourage you especially. So thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. Yes. God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, everyone. I'll put it up on social media. The Congresswoman from the 14th Congressional District in Georgia. Extraordinary. And the book is really cool. I've read, like I said, a bunch of the chapters and uh, it will be fun. And, and she's making them crazy. The left is going bonkers. So I will take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, uh, we were I was having an exchange with one of her colleagues um, and, uh, and and asked to speak with her. Uh, and uh, she is the ch- chairman, excuse me, Libertarian National Party chair, Angela McArdle. Uh, she herself has been active in uh, politics uh, and active in both California and Texas, um, uh, Libertarian Party out there. And the exchange we were having was because Javier Millet, the president-elect in uh, Argentina is a self-described libertarian, and uh, he's now called far-right by the media, which I don't think they understand how these things work. Uh, but we thought we would ask the chairman of the Libertarian Party in the United States, Angela McArdle, to come on and talk with us. So welcome, uh, Chairman McArdle. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. First of all, is it, doesn't it make you crazy when they say libertarian and then they say far right? I mean, it's like, it's like novice uh, political science writing, right? It does. I mean, at this point, anything that's not <laughs> approved by CNN is far right to, you yeah. know, Jimmy Dore, who's like a you know, Medicare for all socialists, they consider him far right. Russell Brand, you know, English uh, socialist, again, far right because he's pro free speech. It's, it's just we live in upside down world. 
Yeah. Um, so one of the I saw a statement you made right after Javier Malay won. He won convincingly, I think fifty six forty four, um, and yeah. it was a runoff, so it ended up head to head. So um, that was really that's sort of the preference of the people. Uh, and you said um, Javier Malay's win is a strong rebuke against the failed policies of socialism in Argentina. The, the, I, what I wanted to ask you was. Argentina actually had leadership that said, we want to be socialist. In America, we have a federal government that has largely done it by lying about it, what they're doing. Right. But, but is that, do you think that that the, that that's part of the attraction he had was he could point to the opposition and say, that's what they're doing in so many ways in the American political context, this sort of the, 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 the at least the naming is hidden, if not a lot of the reality. I think that definitely played a significant role in it. And and the fact that things had deteriorated quite significantly under this openly socialist leadership. It's really challenging. You know, certainly there are people on social media who who will come up with various excuses, but it's certainly challenging to look at an administration that has openly socialist policies that have failed them for for many years and and say, well, it wasn't real socialism, right? Real socialism hasn't been tried. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, that's right. I do say that. All right. So now, do you think, what do you think it means for America? And what do you think it means for you run up, you run a specific, uh, a political party? You, you're trying to say, Hey, look at us. How does, how does national, uh, international trends? How does, but, uh, specifically, uh, a, a nation choosing, uh, differently? How do you think that is going to affect America? And, and does it, does it open up a space for you? I, I was on the Republican National Committee and I tell people all the time, it's a racket. Both parties, the Democrats and Republicans work together to make sure there's no way a third party can succeed so is this a breakthrough moment is it a teaching moment what do you think i think it's a huge breakthrough moment it's extremely encouraging and while i do think that the two major parties you know work together to keep third party candidates off the ballot at a certain point we are going to become irresistible to the public my concern is, you know, when does that happen? Do we have to have a 200% plus inflation rate like Argentina in order to become irresistible? I, I'm nervous about that. But when people are truly ready for change, they're going to make it happen. It's it'll be it'll be spontaneous and it'll be, you know, a sight to behold. We're speaking with Angela McArdle, and again, she's the chair of the uh, the American, uh, excuse me, Libertarian Party. Um, and so what's the main reason uh, is it the economy in other words when you say to someone let me just explain to you how the system's gotten off balance is that the best uh uh way to describe what your what your draw is especially maybe for younger voters i think who are more open to something outside of the norm certainly i think the lesson that we can learn here from argentina is it is the economy when people go to the grocery store and the price is marked out three, four different times because the currency uh, value is that rapidly changing and it's all over the place and you've got to pay $25 for a loaf of bread, people are going to demand change. I, I, that is going to be, I think, what propels us, the Libertarian Party, you know, into a position of leadership in the future. Very frightening. You know, I don't wish that upon the country for our for our currency to be that inflated and devalued. But I do think that if and when that happens, people are going to look to us for a solution. 
Uh, Angela McArdle again is our guest and, uh, and, uh, we're, we're t- talking a little bit about uh, Argentina and the Javier Malay's win there. He's a libertarian, self-described libertarian. Um, kind of interesting. He was a libertarian with some, some more, uh, conservative positions, socially conservative positions, you might say. Um, but one of the things that he tapped into, and I saw him speak on it a bunch of times is smashing the central banks. You use that phrase. Yes. Um, it, that, you know, across the sort of, um, last maybe 15 years, where the Ron Paul um, supporters were initially like, let's audit the Fed, right? It wasn't even end the Fed. It was audit the Fed. And then down through some of the libertarian uh, sort of sounding economic policies, that seems to me to be the space where people see the game rigged against we the people in a way that's foreign from the Constitution and foreign from what should be. Am I am I tapping into what you are seeing and feeling? Absolutely. I think so. You know, Javier Malay, he just wants to end all of it. He recognizes central banking as the the fatal disease that it is and the mechanism by which a socialist government, you know, can control and ruin the lives of so many people. And, you know, he's just striking at the heart of the matter. And, and that's certainly what, what a libertarian would do if we got in there. We would definitely seek to unseat uh, central banking, at least, you know, that's my hope. I hope we would get a candidate as, as a radical and radically honest as Javier Malay. So what happens, uh, uh, this is, we're talking again, uh, the chair of the Libertarian Party, Angela McArdle. What happens next for the Libertarian Party in the U.S.? Are you, is your convention scheduled? Do you have yes. a, do you have a challenge? Is there an obvious person? I mean, do you have a, a, a number of, of candidates? Is there an obvious, uh, person who is, is, has got some, uh, either public service or maybe no, you know, fame? Well, where, where do you, where do you think it's heading? Tell me about that. Our national convention is scheduled for Memorial Day weekend next mm-hmm. year, so okay. May, in Washington, D.C. We will unfortunately be right in the swamp. <laughs> and um, we have several candidates uh, who've put in quite a bit of work right now. We have, you know, Mike Tremont, a retired police officer, Michael Rechtenwald, a notable a uh, former professor from NYU who used to be a Marxist and uh, was canceled over free speech issue and has come to be a true and bona fide libertarian. He's got mm. a very interesting story. Wow. Yeah. And we have uh, Chase Oliver, who was the quote unquote spoiler in the Georgia Senate elections. I do anticipate we're going to have a couple more people, potentially some heavy hitters join in January. Mm-hmm. Usually things start to heat up at the beginning of the year in the libertarian primary. All right. Um, do you, what, how do you answer somebody that says, and they do it all the time. Oh, you're just a spoiler. If you do it right, libertarians going to draw, you know, a few points from, uh, the Republican or the more conservative candidate, just like they say to the Democrats, if the green party, you know, is just going to pull, how, how do you counter that? Sure. Well, I do, you know, I do absolutely think it's a travesty when Democrats jump in the race and steal our votes. It should really, you know, we should be the strongest contenders, right? It should be libertarians. <laughs> right. Um, you know, but even more so than that, you know, like it's so silly to think that you're entitled to someone else's vote or that you own it. Um, what a, when you really, when you really sit down and reflect on that, I think that's a really gross position to take. But we just saw Javier Malay win, win an election, like right. practically in a landslide in another country. So it can be done. It will be done. It's just a matter of time. And for now, you know, in the in the United States, the Libertarian Party is very focused on local elections. And that's where we're absolutely crushing it. We did have some wins in an off year. We got 
38 elected uh, positions that I know of, and we're still counting it. You know, it's pretty crazy how some how some of these polls yeah. lag and these precincts take forever to, to count votes. But we are sweeping up some local victories. Very good. All right. Well, listen, thank you, first of all, for uh, getting out there and uh, speaking on this and, and giving us some context on what happened in Argentina and also uh, what's happening with the uh, Libertarian Party. And uh, best of luck. And we'll keep you on the uh, email list and talk again. Again, Angela McArdle, she's the chair of the Libertarian National Committee. I'll put a link up on social media and uh, we have to take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget to visit ProAmericaReport.com and to see a lot more. Be right back. Ed Martin. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Should the sham charges against Donald Trump and other Republicans prove effective, it will not be because of the left. It will be because so-called conservatives failed to respond to these charges accordingly. Senator Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas, who is currently running for re-election in Texas, chastised the unsuccessful primary rivals to Trump for how they refused to pledge to use the pardon power when asked about it at a debate. The Obama-appointed federal judge in D.C. absurdly set the trial date for the prosecution there against Trump for the day before the Super Tuesday primary in early March 2024. Trump immediately vowed to appeal, and the Supreme Court will likely shut down this prosecution of Trump because it interferes with the American voters selecting our next president. The phrase, the United States, is repeated 71 times like a chant in the recent indictment of 19 Republicans in Atlanta. The indictment begins by falsely stating that Trump and the other defendants charged in this indictment refused to accept that Trump lost and they knowingly and willfully joined a conspiracy to unlawfully change the outcome of the election in favor of Trump. This sham Fulton County indictment asserts offenses against the United States within the meaning of the pardon clause. If timid Republican governors and legislators fail to stop political prosecutions, then a conservative president will be needed to single-handedly overcome this and right the wrong that these people have suffered. Similarly, we need a president who is strong enough to use his pardon power to free the many Americans who have been unjustly imprisoned in a Washington, D.C. gulag for peacefully protesting on January 6th, 2021. For nearly three years, these men and women have languished in prison while their families struggle to make ends meet. They will never receive justice from the overwhelmingly left-leaning juries in D.C., so a presidential pardon is the appropriate response to ensure that justice is restored. The only question left is whether Americans will elect a president strong enough to get the job done. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. You'll be glad to know the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly continues. Upheld by Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Chairman Helen Marie Taylor, Treasurer John Schlafly, a full staff in St. Louis in our nation's capital, and thousands of citizen volunteers, her Eagles, across the country. You can be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, as we're finishing up today, let me let me finish with a challenge. I sometimes do a, a window, what you need to do, not just what you uh, need to know at the beginning of the program. And the end of, towards the end of the program, we'll do the shorter segment, say what you need to do. Here's one thing you need to do going forward. 
the next year, slightly less than a year, because the election will be in early November. So uh, 11 months, 11 months in a week or so. This next year is going to be one of the most extraordinary years in American life. We are going to see and and participate in things that are just extraordinary. Okay. I mean, we're going to see an election like we've never seen. We're going to see lawfare like we've never seen. We're probably going to see economic upheaval like we've never seen. I hope it will be, um, limited to things like high interest rates and, uh, and high costs as opposed to massive, uh, depression and massive, I mean, recession and all, but we'll see. We're going to have an extraordinary period. And here's what I, I, I had someone say this the other day in a different context. And I thought, huh. You have to come up, we have to come up with habits, sort of habits of being. That's a phrase that uh, uh, is used sometimes. Habits of being, habits for how we are living. And 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 in this context, um, what, what this um, recent observation made by another was, um, you have to include as a habit part of your life prayer prayer and and the way somebody said this to me was when you get so busy that you slow down on your prayer it's the opposite of what you should be doing now i know this seems obvious i know this is obvious to a lot of us and to prayerful and to to men and women of faith it feels like oh yeah we got that um uh, down uh you know we know this but i I, what i want to challenge everyone is to be uh people of prayer who offer to others that witness Meaning, usually, when you're a good prayer warrior, you, you you have a humility about it. You don't walk up to people and say, hey, this morning I was praying. Uh, you know, I prayed for an hour this morning before I went out and did everything. And, and I don't know if you did, but I did it. And it can feel like you're sort of bragging, right? Or it can feel to others like that. So you don't want to do that. You just pray. Sometimes you'll pray for, let's say you go in the morning and you got an hour and you lots of prayer. And you'll think, you know, I prayed for so-and-so. And I think it would help her to know that I prayed for her. So you tell her that. But you don't walk around telling people sort of uh, that you're uh, that you're a prayer warrior. But I think we kind of have to. One of the fruits of the weekly prayer call, we call it the Prayer for America, Phyllis Schlafly Eagles Prayer for America, which is 10 a.m. Central Time each Friday. One of the fruits of that is people hear and see because we send reminders and we talk about it. We invite people regularly. People see and hear that we're doing that. And it's got this edifying echo. And in this next 11 months, without being obnoxious, without being, uh, you know, arrogant or coming across as such, finding ways to witness to that, to the reality that we are people of prayer. I think that's important because courage is courageous. We talk about that a lot. Courage is courageous, right? Courage is courageous. People see it. They see it. They can say, oh, you can do that. I can do it too, right? You're doing that. I want to help. People will step up. Prayer is similarly contagious. If, if all of us are drawn, I think we're drawn by our very being to union with God in prayer. And therefore, when you see somebody you're walking around and someone says, you know, I would did this or wanted, you know, I'm doing this. People say, oh, I could do that too. And my challenge in the coming year is to create a different sense of who we are by being Public, maybe that's the wrong word, but being uh, open to uh, speaking to others about being people of prayer.
Because at various times in history, when we really had to face lots of stuff, whether you go back in, in salvation history to the Israelites, or you go back in time to the time of the early Christians, but I was referencing in this case, at the founding of this country, America, of which we'll se- celebrate lots of the sesquicentennial anniversaries, lots of the 250th year anniversaries, you know, the the, the Tea Party is 250 years ago, uh, start on Dece- early December, second week of December. And my, we, we can, in those early days... There was public recitation of the of scripture. There was, uh, you know, you, you you would start every meeting, not just with a prayer, but the, the the speakers would start their speeches with reference to Almighty God. And and they would sprinkle their speeches and words with scripture and with inspiration and lessons drawn. Well, we've come a long way and maybe fallen a long way from that. So let's find the ways to uh, bring not only prayer at the beginning of a meeting, but prayer at the uh, as part of who we are as and and who we are as witnesses and i think in an intentional way over the next year it will be important for us to do that for the good of the nation and said more explicitly not just the good of the nation as a as a uh a, 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 you know a, a, an entity but for for the good of the citizens for the good of the people is to be witnesses in prayer First of all, pray, return yourself to the habit. If you talk about it to other people, you'll do it more. It's just the nature of how we are. You could promise God, I'm going to pray every day. If you say to your wife, I'm going to pray every day, you're going to do it more. I'm going to try to pray every day. You say to your kids, I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to stop and and pray every day. You're going to do it more. So that, it has this uh, a, a supportive effect. But in particular, find ways to witness to others about our being a people of prayer so that it becomes not just contagious, hopefully will, but a, a support framework around what we're doing. And I believe that God calls us to it, and I believe God loves it when we do it, and so we should find our ways to do that. So that's a challenge. That's what you need to do for this coming year, a sort of a Thanksgiving uh, a thought I've been having, and so I encourage you on that. And uh, God bless you. I give thanks for all the listeners and participants. Also, uh, Mason and Mohan and Ryan Hyde, who do so much work for this uh, program. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.